Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show, this special Saturday edition of the show. As a reminder, the reason why we are doing a show uh, available to everyone on both Saturday and Sunday of this week is because we got that what I would consider to be wrongful YouTube channel strike that prevented us from doing the show for seven days. And as a quick, quick reminder, uh, it was nothing that I said or any message I was endorsing. Instead, it was a video that I was using to debunk what the lady was saying in the video. So it was this QAnon lady. She was going on this rant. YouTube thought I was putting out that message, if that makes sense, what she was saying, when really I was debunking that message. And so I would classify it as a miscommunication, but it definitely was aggravating and prevented me from doing the show for a week. And because of that, we came back on a Friday and I didn't want to immediately take the weekend off after all those days of being off. So we're going to go ahead and do the show throughout this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and for our full show, um, or I should say bonus show, Patreon members, you can expect a bonus show today. So you'll be getting back-to-back -back shows on the Saturday, which is wonderful. If you're not already a Patreon member and that sounds appealing to you, both supporting what we do and getting access to bonus content, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. That's patreon.com slash Luke Beasley. Become a member, support the show, get extra content. It is spectacular. With all that being said, let's dive into today's show. After days of humiliation, Kevin McCarthy has finally become Speaker of the House. Now, I'm going to put up on screen a muted uh, version of his victory speech. There's nothing particularly notable in this that I wanted to show, so we won't look at clips from his speech. Just if you want to watch it yourself, you can. Typical, uh, unremarkable speech. Well, what was quite remarkable was something that occurred right before his victory. And let me give you the context, and we'll look at this clip of Republican Representative Mike Rogers having to be physically restrained because of how heated a moment got on the House floor. So we'll take a look at that, but the context you need to be aware of to understand what built to this moment is at 10 p.m. yesterday, Kevin McCarthy was confident that he was going to win on the 14th ballot. This 14th time he was going to become Speaker of the House. And he was noticeably surprised when, uh, when Matt Gates did not vote for him and instead voted present. And so throughout this process, Kevin McCarthy had kind of been letting his aides and his staffers and other uh, GOP representative allies of his go and talk to people and negotiate, at least when the cameras were around, other people would be doing that. Kevin McCarthy would be sitting in his seat and not engaging those conversations publicly. Well, he couldn't help himself after Matt Gates on this 14th ballot voted against him, prevented him from becoming speaker once again, and he was surprised and angry. And so I'll put up again, muted on the screen for our video viewers, this um, moment where Kevin McCarthy approaches Matt Gates and they start getting into what was obviously a heated discussion. Now, again, I'll say so that you don't start thinking this is where it's going. Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates don't get into any physical altercation, but another representative will enter the uh, scene in a bit here. And so they're going back and forth. It seems by their body language at different moments that it got somewhat heated and Kevin McCarthy seemed to have expected this to be the time that Matt Gates voted for him, but because Matt Gates did not, 
uh, Kevin McCarthy once again lost. And so that was his 14th loss and Kevin McCarthy was unhappy. Well, as Kevin McCarthy is walking away from Matt Gates, again, Republican Representative Mike Rogers enters and starts shouting at Matt Gates and uh, has to get physically restrained, as you'll see here. Someone walked up behind him and grabbed his face. You might have missed it. The left of the screen, you'll see here. Um, Republican Representative Mike Rogers enters, very upset, starts shouting at Matt Gates. He gets grabbed. His face gets grabbed by another representative, it seems, or someone on the floor there trying to pull him back. And we'll look at this in a little bit more of a zoomed in form, as you can see here. And this just represents the unserious and clownish nature of what was going on in the House of Representatives with the Republican Party. It was so wild, so much mayhem was breaking out that this photo comes out of it. Someone having to have their mouth grabbed by another person on the House of Representatives floor because of presumably threatening language or at least just vulgar language that Mike Roberts, uh, Rogers, I should say, was using. Now, there was lots of that angry energy in the room. You could tell it was an overall tense moment, but for it to get to that just in my mind represents how um, far away the Republican Party has strayed, how far away they have gotten from a serious group of people wanting to seriously deliberate policy issues. At least enough of them represent that to create moments like this. And it is all so wild. And what's important to note is while Kevin McCarthy did indeed become speaker, so in that sense, he won, he very much lost throughout this whole process. And it started off with a joke or humiliation or a very serious and sad display of the unserious nature of so many of these individuals who are our representatives and hold so much power. And he's going to have to deal with this because of his inability to stand against this part of his party for the next two years. He's going to be beholden to these exact individuals. The Matt Gates, is the Lauren Boers are going to be calling the shots. So again, in a literal sense, he was victorious. He got to give his victory speech. His name is now uh, you know, Speaker of the House, his title is now Speaker of the House, but he lost. He was humiliated. His party was humiliated because it was shown how, again, the description I keep having come to my mind is unserious the party is and how far away they are from uh, the ideal and a group of people who takes these issues seriously and wants to get to work for the American people. That is not at all what so many within this modern Republican Party in the House represent. And it's sad to see. And Kevin McCarthy is going to be leading that, dealing with that in so many different forms, again, partly because of his inability and other Republicans inability to stand against the most radical parts of their party over the last few years. New leader of the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries, spoke last night right before Kevin McCarthy gave his victory speech as the new Speaker of the House. And this Hakeem Jeffries speech was really good in my opinion, so I want to show you a couple moments from it. The first is Hakeem Jeffries doing 
what I think the Democratic Party should do as a whole, which is while the mayhem is breaking loose within the Republican Party and Mike Rogers is having to have his face grabbed and he's pulled back because of how heated and how just off the walls the whole situation over the speakership uh, battle got, the Democratic Party can take that as an opportunity, a moment to say, while all of that's going on, the Democratic Party, this is how they can portray themselves, is... Uh, are the adults in the room and we are wanting to have serious policy discussions and here are our policy achievements and here are future policies we hope to push for and that is the best way i think to juxtapose the democratic party versus the republican party it's not to jump in yourself and get into childish uh you know debacles yourself instead just let that happen and keep your message about policy, about the ways you want to improve the lives of working people, etc. And so here, Hakeem Jeffries in this speech lists some of the Democratic Party's uh, policy successes over the last two years. And as I always like to add as a disclaimer when I go through these, um, is it's not enough. I wish the Democratic Party was better. I wish they could achieve more and be more in line with the interests of the working person. But when you compare them to the Republican Party, it's quite obvious which one actually has achieved significant things over the last few years um, in that direction. So here's Hakeem Jeffries touting these successes. On behalf of the American people, getting big things done. We passed the American Rescue Plan, saved the economy from a deep recession. Put shots in arms, money in pockets, and kids back in school. We passed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act to create millions of good-paying jobs, fix our crumbling bridges, roads, tunnels, our airports, our sewer and water system, our mass transportation systems, and ensure high-speed internet access in every single community. We passed gun safety legislation for the first time in 30 years that will save lives and make our communities safer. We passed the Chips and Science Act to bring domestic manufacturing jobs back home to the United States of America and ensure that our workforce has the skills to succeed in the 21st century economy, and we passed the Inflation Reduction Act to strike a dramatic blow against the climate crisis, set our planet on a sustainable trajectory forward, lower energy costs, strengthen the Affordable Care Act, lower health care costs, and drive down the high price of life-saving prescription drugs for millions of Americans. It was one of the most consequential Congresses in American history. President Biden gets the job done and the D in Democrat stands for deliver. So, I mean, again, while we saw a clown show going on within the Republican Party over the last few days, it's the perfect opportunity to say, and here's what the Democratic Party cares about. Here are the things we fought for when we were in power to really instill that message in the minds of the American people. Second moment, you could tell that Hakeem Jeffries was kind of getting playful with his speech a little bit. And he went through <laughs> at one moment and said, the Democratic Party stands for this over this. And he went through every letter in the alphabet 
A to Z with a word and then a second word. So you'll see what I mean in a second here, but uh, the word the Democratic Party does stand for and what they don't, alluding to it being what the Republican Party stands for. Take a look at this. We'll never compromise our principles. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy. <laughs> so you get the point, but he goes all the way to Z. Um, and you could tell, I honestly did not pick up that um, it was going through the alphabet until a little ways through. And you could tell that was kind of everyone. And there was a little bit of confusion about, wait, why is he doing this so long? And then you realize what he was doing. And it was, uh, it was good. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a playful way to kind of poke fun at the Republican Party, but then make serious points about what the Democratic Party does stand for and how that compares to what the Republican Party um, does. So great job from Hakeem Jeffries. I am looking forward to over the next two years and beyond him as somebody, while I don't agree with him on uh, plenty of policy things, at least being so much better than some of our past Democratic leaders, including our current uh, president, at communication, at playing that optical game that you have to in politics to get those sound bites, to go after um, the negative aspects of the other side and to do it all in kind of a smooth way that plays well in front of the cameras because as much as we hate it, that matters and he's very good at that and so it should be interesting to watch. President Joe Biden has responded to Kevin McCarthy becoming Speaker of the House and I grabbed this statement for you guys because it was really funny the way they structured it and good, honestly. Um, they found a way to weave in a touting of Biden's successes or the perceived successes over the last couple of years into this statement addressing Kevin McCarthy's victory, if that makes sense. And so I find this good because one of the things the Biden administration is not good at, it seems, is communicating their own successes. Not that their successes are everything they should be. We obviously have our own critiques and uh, wish more could have been done. But of the things that are positive that the Biden administration did, they're not great at making it known to everyone that those things are very good, right? I wish they were better at advertising their own successes so people know about them within the general public. And in this statement, they kind of found a way to do that, which was funny, um, as you'll see here. Statement from President Joe Biden on the election of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. Jill and I congratulate Kevin McCarthy on his election as Speaker of the House. The American people expect their leaders to govern in a way that puts their needs above all else, and that is what we need to do now. As I said after the midterms, I am prepared to work with Republicans when I can, and voters make clear that they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with me as well. Now that the leadership of the House of Representatives has been decided, it is time for that process to begin. Today we learned, and this is where uh, the part that I enjoyed started, 
that my plan to build an economy that works from the bottom up and the middle out has achieved the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, and that we made 2021 and 2022 the best years for job growth on record. And as we've talked about, the president doesn't have complete authority over unemployment or anything like that. There's so many economic factors that affect that. But of course, a president is going to attempt to take credit for a successful economic um, indicator such as job growth and certain policies that were implemented could have affected that in a positive direction by the Biden administration. It continues, it's imperative that we continue that economic progress, not set it back. It is imperative that we protect Social Security and Medicare, not slash them. It is imperative that we defend our national security, not defund it. These are some of the choices before us. As the last two years show, we can do profound things for the country when we do them together. For example, this week I traveled to Kentucky to highlight the growing benefits that the bipartisan infrastructure law is bringing to communities all over the country. This is a time to govern responsibly and to ensure that we're putting the interests of American families first. Very uh, well done there. Again, I say I wish more could be accomplished by the Democratic Party, but from what they have done, some of it being very significant and very positive, they should get better at touting their own successes whenever they can, even if it's in their statement of congratulations to Kevin McCarthy in this situation. The December jobs report has been released, revealing some pretty positive information about the United States' economy and indicates we may not be headed towards that horrible economic reality that so many people have been predicting. We might, but these numbers don't seem to indicate that. Uh, interesting piece from Axios breaking this down that we will walk through. The United States labor market is extraordinarily strong despite gloom and doom economic forecasts and high profile layoffs. That is a takeaway from the December jobs report out Friday that was outstanding in subtle and not so subtle. Uh, ways. The headline unemployment rate at 3.5% matched its lowest levels in decades. If you extend the calculation a couple more decimal places, University of Michigan, uh, Michigan economist Justin Wolfers points out it was 3.468%, the lowest since 1969. And then adds uh, information about the jobs added and all of these different things, even though we did see layoffs in the tech sector um, overall some good numbers. And then you look at wage growth and how we could be headed towards a better reality on that front based on these numbers. Average hourly earnings rose by 0.3% in December and are up 4.6% over the last year. Over the last three months, worker pay rose at a 4.1% annual rate. And then it continues on. But the gist of it is when you have wage growth, that doesn't uh, matter as much if inflation is beyond that, if that makes sense. If the inflation is causing that increased wage to have less buying power um, because of inflation. And what we're seeing is possibly as inflation is slowing, but wage growth continues, we could get to a better situation for workers, which would be really good. And the piece ends by saying, if we keep getting numbers like these, 2023 may not be such a rough year for workers after all. And of course, it's always important to note, even within a really good economy by the metrics we traditionally use, there are still all the problems that we talk about um, day after day. And so much action needs to be taken, no matter how good the economy is by this type of analysis, um, to address issues that we have within our economy. Absolutely.
people are still hurting economically. It's just to say, within the economic discussion that people traditionally have with these numbers and these bits of analysis, things are looking better than some will say and indicate a better future than some um, will say, which is what we hope for. We want a more positive economic future, of course. Donald Trump did another strange interview that I want to take a look at with you. And there's three moments from this that we'll look at. The third is so bizarre, so hold for that one. But the first two are great examples of just without stopping at every moment possible, Donald Trump is spewing conspiracy theories and uh, telling his audience things that are just absolutely not true. And it's dangerous. So take a look at this first moment. States doing it. And one thing that was shown, Darren, is that the election was rigged and stolen because, you know, it's interesting when uh, 2000 mules came out where they have, you know, nothing but tapes of people stuffing ballot boxes. You know, I mean, in all fairness, they have tapes of it, thousands of, of, uh, of feet of, of tapes and, you know, all sorts of terrible things, you know, looking up at the cameras, putting on gloves before they voted after some got caught. Uh, and that made an impact. But this this whole FBI thing has tenfold made an impact. People that aren't into it like you would be or I would be, people are, you know, they, they don't know that much about They're saying, wow, you know, you're right. The election was rigged and stolen. And it was stolen by the government of the United States. I mean, it's just the only thing that can circulate in his head, even though time and time again, not proven to be the case. The election was not stolen. If you want to be successful in your current presidential run, I would recommend you stop lying about the past election and focus on what could win over voters in the future election. But keep doing your thing, I guess, and you'll um, lose once again. But the 2000 Mules part, we've talked about 2000 Mules just being a joke of a documentary, if you can even call it that. Um, but then I guess the other part, he's referring to the Twitter files, which also has been a confusing, confusing experience watching people read the same text that I'm reading when I go and read the Twitter files and taking away conclusions that just don't at all logically follow what they read. It's very strange because the Twitter files does not reveal that the FBI stole the election from Trump. That's not at all what's going on there. Um, one of the things they got really confused about was people kept saying that Biden used the government to steal the election from Trump, even though Trump was the president and Biden was just a private citizen at that point in time running for president. Very strange, but uh, I guess that's the logic. Next moment from this interview. And then again, continue to hold for that third one because it's definitely the most bizarre. The January 6th operation. Do you think the full extent of this federal involvement will ever come to light? And why are most Republicans scared to death to touch this particular issue? Well, they're afraid. Bill Barr was afraid. He thought he was going to be impeached, and he was afraid. And, you know, I understand that, but you can't be afraid. You can't take those positions if you're going to be afraid. He was afraid to go into the election corruption because he didn't want to be impeached. If you look at him six months earlier, he was saying very bad things about mail-in ballots and everything else. Right. And then all of a sudden he got scared, and he was frightened. I could tell it. You know, I watch him on television now, and he talks like, oh, he sits back and he talks. Uh, he was, he was for, you know, you can't have it. So in Trump's mind, the reason why even people who were loyal to him every step of the way were hardcore on his side 
the reason why those people even couldn't go along with his election lies was not because the real reason, which is they realized these claims were just not true and not backed up by the evidence and these lies could be so damaging to our democracy. It was because they were scared to tell the truth. I guess that makes more sense in Trump's head instead of reevaluating and thinking, why is it that all these people who were loyal to me up until the point that I tried to overturn a democratic election? Maybe it's because the claims you were using to justify those actions were not at all based in fact. Now here's this third moment where it seems he is desperate for admiration from the interviewer about his truths on Truth Social, his messages, equivalent of a tweet, wanting to be told that he's a really good truther. Very strange. There are those that are saying that Twitter can never be Twitter unless I go back on. I'm very complimented by that. And I only say it because there are about 20 articles about it, <laughs> that Twitter can never make it if they don't have Trump back on. And if you look at the truths that I put out today and some that are going to be put out momentarily, I think you'll see that, you know, that number one, they're correct. Number two, they're good for the country. And they are pretty well crafted. I must say, yes. but it, I hope you're going to look at the ones that I just put out. And did you see the ones I put out today there? Yes. Yes. No, they're very good. good and um, we'll, we'll get are, there are those that are saying. <laughs> so the truths that he puts out on his social media site are very well crafted. Don't you think so? Darren, aren't I so good at truthing? Um, it's sad. I, it, what's so weird about this is many people, I think, who support Trump see him as this alpha male, so confident, billionaire. But in reality, he's just such an insecure child. And not even, as I sometimes use that type of language in a really insulting way, just in a pure analysis way. When you watch the way Trump acts, he's so deeply insecure and caught up in kind of childish type status symbols, I guess, or um, in this case, wanting to be told that his posts are crafted well. He's really good at sending out those true social posts. Very interesting. Um, and this is the extent of Trump's campaigning. I mean, he's a presidential candidate, so I'm ready to cover things if there are significant aspects of his campaign to cover. But really, all we get is an occasional social media video and an occasional interview like this from someone who will support him every step of the way. So that's what we get, and that's what I cover. Katie Hobbs has been sworn in as the governor of Arizona, and since she won the election, you and I expected that to happen, but many in the Kerry Lake world did not, and did not want it to, and felt that Kerry Lake was gonna prevent some big election stealing operation or something like that, that of course was not based in reality. Well, I have a moment for you of Carrie Lake in an interview addressing the fact that Katie Hobbs was sworn in and she has lost it. She has just lost her marbles completely and we're gonna take a look at that moment, truly wild. Before we do, just really quickly, a tiny little moment from Katie Hobbs being sworn in. Okay, so it is official. She's now the governor of Arizona. Again, because she won the election, fair and square, that's exactly what should have happened. Well, here was Carrie Lake's response. Again, I say truly unhinged. Take a look. Appellate court, 
But correct me if I'm wrong. Did Katie Hobbs kind of slip in behind closed doors and take the oath on 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 Monday, right? And did she, was nobody in the room? What, what's going? Katie Hobbs has gone back into her cave, right? What, where where's Katie Hobbs? <laughs> I think she's so afraid to do anything publicly because she knows she's illegitimate. She knows that they stole this. And they're afraid that uh, Arizonans are going to heckle her. And, and they're, they're calling it, you know, Carrie Lake supporters. They're Arizonans who don't like the fact that our elections are being stolen every single time. And so she's probably afraid to go out in public. I, somebody sent me a, um, a little clip of video. I guess she was at one of the games, a Suns game or a football game. And somebody walked by her and said, Carrie Lake is our governor. You lost. I don't know who it was, but it was sent to me. This is what she's going to be facing because she knows when she took that oath that she stole this election. So they're laughing about uh, the idea that Katie Hobbs may be afraid of Carrie Lake's supporters. And if she is, that would be absolutely justified because Carrie Lake has told her supporters, propagandized her supporters into believing that Katie Hobbs is the epitome of injustice and the pinnacle of evil and stealing your country from you and you're not going to have a country if Katie Hobbs becomes governor and you have to fight, fight, fight to prevent it. That's the type of rhetoric we've seen from Carrie Lake. So of course her supporters could be very dangerous as we've seen uh, occur with similar lies told by Donald Trump. And so Despite not having the evidence to back up her claims, she's continuing forward not just with making the claims, but wrapping up her entire identity, as we saw with Donald Trump after he lost the 2020 election, in these election lies. This is who they are, obsessed with claims of election uh, fraud or the election being stolen that aren't backed up by evidence, that the courts find to be not backed up by evidence, but yet that becomes who they are and uh, thus who so many of their followers are. And it is dangerous and it is so dishonest and it's what we warned about. Trump doing it set a precedent. Trump doing it created a playbook that people like Carrie Lake can follow. And it creates a movement in our country that believes some dangerous things and sometimes leads to dangerous actions. Let me know what you think, Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. George Santos, despite lying about almost every major aspect of who he was, has been sworn in. He lied about who he was to get elected, got elected, then it got exposed before he was sworn in that all these things were lies, and yet he was still sworn in. Absolutely wild. Uh, before we dive into the reporting about this, I want to quickly go through this list once again that I put together and we've gone through in the past on the show of, from what I could document, all the different lies he's told or been exposed for telling so far. So let's do this once again. He said he went to a prep school that he didn't go to. He said he went to Baruch College, but he didn't. Claimed to have gone to business school, but he did not. Said he worked for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. He didn't. Said that he was Jewish. Even used the words explicitly, quote, American Jew to describe himself. Then it comes out that he's not Jewish. And I guess to cover, he says, no, no, no. I was saying I'm Jew-ish. Jew hyphen-ish. Hmm. He said that his mom died on 9-11. He said that his mom died on 9-11. What? But then in 2021, said that she died five years in the past and then said both of his parents survived 9-11. Hmm. He said that he lost employees in the Pulse nightclub shooting, 
but there's no record of any of the victims ever working for him. He claimed to have owned 13 properties, but hasn't owned any. Claimed to have started a pet charity, but there's no record of that with the IRS. So that guy is now a congressman. Take a look at this from the Daily Beast. Serial liar George Santos was sworn into Congress early Saturday standing next to Representative Matt Gates and Representative Lauren Boeber. The swearing-in had been delayed by the protracted battle over Kevin McCarthy's ultimately successful quest to become Speaker of the House. Santos has been facing calls to resign amid revelations that he lied about everything, from his education, job history, family background, and wealth. He also has an unresolved criminal case in Brazil and federal investigations in the United States sniffing around. So all of that, and he still is sworn in as a congressman. He is a Republican congressman after all of that. And I think if he had any integrity, which obviously he doesn't, he would resign. Absolutely. You don't deceive the voters, have them grant you power based on lies and then take control of that power. But the very ability he had to deceive in that manner is the same ability he has now to want to take control of power that he absolutely does not deserve. But there it is. George Santos is now a Republican congressman. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I'll see you tomorrow.